Well, good morning, everybody. We are going to look at a short passage, uh, but a, a good one, a powerful one, a needed one. So if you would open your Bibles with me to James chapter 1, we are going to look at the first four verses, primarily verses 2 through 4. Let me get myself situated up here real quick. Two weeks ago, um, and again, just to give you a little bit of idea how I'm thinking about this as we approach it, is who are we as the people of God? So two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus so identifies himself with us, with the church, with the church universal, with the church us local, that when Paul, who was persecuting the church, said, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, it's me, Jesus, who you are persecuting. What you do to my body, you do to me. And then we looked at the passage in John 17 where Jesus is praying to his father before he goes to the cross, and he prays that the church would have unity just as the Father and Son have unity, and that that would become possible because the Son, God Himself, would come live in His church. Last week, we looked at uh, not just talking about unity, but, but practicing it. We took communion together. We had the Lord's Supper, and so we went to 1 Corinthians and looked at the passage in chapter 11 uh, about how some of the things the Corinthians were struggling with in being unified in how they separated one another based on their socioeconomic differences, even though they were all brothers and sisters in Christ. And today I want to look at uh, a passage here in James that says the church is weird. That's not what the scripture says. That is a little bit of my paraphrase. But brothers and sisters, we are an odd people walking this planet. Do you know that? I think we're odd because we understand what's true. Other people certainly don't see it that same way. But we're odd because we rejoice in trials. How many of you woke up this morning and said, Lord, I'm not in a trial right now. Would you just go ahead and bring one? Because I just, I need some joy. I want to rejoice in that. I'm not seeing any hands go up. That's probably good. That means you have some common sense and you don't need to ask for these things. But this passage that we're going to look at, as James speaks to probably a variety of churches, his letter isn't as specific as like what we looked at last week when Paul is writing to churches, particularly the Corinthians, very specific, very appropriate to a particular group of people. James kind of sends this one out. Probably it it went to a number of different churches scattered around the Mediterranean in the ancient world, just as the early church was taking form. And he starts with these verses. Follow along as I read, and then I'm going to ask the Lord again to be with us, and then we'll get into this passage. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. Father, I ask, will you show us the truth, not just in our minds to understand this, but to be the people of, of, of the body of Christ that lives this out. Help us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. It's a short passage, but each, many of the words in here matter, and so I want to walk through these couple verses with you and just unpack these so that we do understand what James is saying. But then, I think we need to kind of bring this passage into everyday life. I mentioned last week one thing about preaching. It's easier to preach than it is to practice what you preach. And I don't know about you, but this may be one of those verses that is much easier to talk about than to do. So after we look at it, let's see if we can bring it into everyday life and move towards an understanding that is doable and something we can practice. James, right off the bat, saying, a servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ... The traditional understanding is that this is a brother of Jesus Christ, a physical brother of Jesus Christ, a son of Joseph and Mary. Some have thought maybe this is James the Apostle. That idea has been kind of shot down in the scholarly circles for the most part. But nonetheless, whoever he is, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't bring out his apostleship, nor does he bring out his lineage. Because he says, the most important thing and what you folks need to know is that I am James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings, this was the way Christians now talked about. They realized that Israel was how God was going to work with them for a while, for many, many, many centuries but it was going to find its fulfillment in the church. For all those who follow Jesus Christ are the people of God. And so James latches on to kind of an Old Testament reference, but meaning to you Christians out there, dispersed wherever you might be, greetings. And then, if you're at all familiar with the book of James, you're not surprised that he jumps right into this. He doesn't give any warm pleasantries. How are you? I'm fine. Kids are doing good. We're pretty busy. Normally, and we see this in, in Paul, normally you do get a, I hope you're well. And even moving into a prayer for the people he's sending this to, Paul does this often in his letters. James, maybe partly because he isn't writing to a specific group, um, or maybe just because he wanted to get into what becomes a, a theme throughout all that he has to say in the five chapters that he writes. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it, consider it, tabulate it, take, uh, take it into account, keep track of of this, consider as you go through your days, I want you to do this. I want you to consider it all joy, my brothers. Some of you have the translation, consider it, uh, count it pure joy, count it all joy. We're going to see as we work through this, it doesn't mean only joy as the only attitude or emotion that we operate with when trials come. 
but consider the joy that comes from how God uses trials in our lives. Count it all joy, my brothers, James says. When you meet trials of various kinds. In very few words, James gets right into the heart of the matter. Consider it joy when you meet, and here I want to substitute all sorts of different things, don't you? When you enter the candy shop that they just put in at Shields, that place is sweet. Lots, I mean that in all the ways I'm intending there. When you go to the ice cream store, when you have good time with others, when you see the sun rising, or maybe some of you prefer when you see the sun setting, when you experience all the pleasantries that this life has to offer, then consider it joy. Do we consider those joy? Absolutely. We're not into this, what the, the, the historians and others might call asceticism, where we just know smiles and we only enjoy hardship and, and we look for it at every turn. No, we enjoy every good thing because we know every good thing comes from the Father of lights, as James will say a few verses down. But again, right off the bat, James wants his audience, his listeners, these churches, these Christians, and the Holy Spirit wants us to see that when we face trials of various kinds, we are to consider it all joy. Trials. This word, interestingly, if you just kind of drop back behind the English translation and see the Greek word, one thing you would find is that this is a word that, that can be and is translated both trials, things that come your way, that kind of test your faith. Life isn't going well. It's happening a little bit outside of me, but it's happening to me. It's a trial I'm walking through. Abraham is our great Old Testament example of this. We think of God telling him, go to this mountain and offer your son as a sacrifice. But if you read through the, the chapters where we find Abraham, you're going to find him to be tested to encounter trials about 10 different times. Starting with this voice that he hears from a God that I don't know that he knew up to this point that says, leave your people and your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. Talk about a time when you would say, who are you, Lord? Abraham is, a, is an example of trials, things that, that come our way. Job is another example of trials that come. He didn't know about this heavenly conversation that happened, but what he sees is the loss of a job, livelihood, farm, loss of all of his children and their spouses, loss of his health. Trials come in all these different ways, and that's what James is getting at here. But just as a side note, and you can tuck this one away for your further study of the book of James and some other things, this very same word sitting behind this in the Greek can also be translated temptation. 
the way our sinful nature still rears its head or wants to, and we have to subdue it by the Holy Spirit, we are tempted towards things the same way the demonic realm works on us to tempt us into things. This same word goes this direction. And so later on, when you look a little further into this passage, James is going to come back to this idea of trial and temptation in chapter 1, and he's going to use this same word, and then he's going to use it in the tempted direction. But here, James is talking about the multitude, the variety, the you-name-it trial that comes into your life and into mine. Again, we look at Job and we look at Abraham in the Old Testament and we see trials that came their way. We can look at Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery. We can see him being misrepresented uh, and accused of wrongdoing, basically by the king's wife. Long times in prison he befriends and does a great deed for this man in prison and then gets forgotten. These are trials that came into Joseph's life. You may, unless you were the, one of those rare people that just said, Lord, I don't have a trial going on at the moment, but I'm, I'm looking for one because of this verse that this guy's going to preach on this morning. You probably don't have to think very long or hard to think about a variety of trials that you are going through or have gone through recently. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, that various, just to say it explicitly, what I've kind of implied, these trials can come in all shapes and sizes. They can be all varieties of things. And James says you can count it all joy because of the way your Heavenly Father is going to work through these. Because as you and I walk through trials, God is neither absent nor ignorant of what is going on. And most of all, he is certainly not uncaring toward what is going on. I was talking to a friend recently, not a part of our congregations here at Frack East or West, and he's going through a hard time job is hard, a relationship is, is hard. And he said an interesting thing to me. He said, it's not affecting my faith. I still trust God. But as we talked about it and unpacked it, the interesting thing that had happened was the God he trusted was no longer the God of the Bible. Be careful. We can say things like, well, I still trust God, but deep down in your heart, and I am so thankful that my friend had the courage to voice this, to unpack it, and that by the Spirit, I think, working in him, we got to this point, and he began to describe the God that he actually was trusting right now, and this God was hard. He was mean. He was uncaring. You can't just have sung those, well, you could actually. 
you and I could sing those songs that were up here and not believe that's the God you're singing about. Isn't that amazing? How our hearts and souls work. But that's why I think you came this morning was, if nothing else, to reorient yourself to the, how little you deserve and how much you are loved. If you are in Christ, again, you didn't get there because of your resume and neither did I. Not because of anything you have done or did do, but because of the love of the triune God for sinners like you and like me. And that God isn't just interested in you coming to faith, He's interested in you persevering through however long you have in this fallen world until you go to be with Him or Jesus comes back to make all things new, including you and me. Be careful that you don't read this verse, but subtly slip into this, God, I don't deserve this. God, you are absent. God, you are not with me. God, where are you? If you were real, this wouldn't happen. That's an interesting thing about that word trial. James absolutely is right saying this, there are multiple trials that come and God is going to use them for our good and that's where we're going next. But Satan always seems to be on the prowl, wanting to turn it into a temptation. Did God really? Is your God really nearby? Does he really care about you? Does he really know what's going on? Is he really in control? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various uh, trials of various kinds. Why, James, why? Let's get to the better half of this passage. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I'm reading this from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Almost every other English translation is going to is going to use a different word there for steadfastness, but they're all grabbing at this idea. If you read from the King James or New King James, you see the word patience. If you read from, uh, from some of the others, you're going to see endurance. I think that's in the NAS. And if you read from the NIV, you're going to see perseverance. But steadfastness, perseverance, endurance are all getting at this idea of how God is going to use trials in your life and in mine. There's this testing of your faith, and that, that I think, in the ancient world and in James, and as, as he's writing probably largely to a Jewish-oriented Christian audience, they have a Jewish background, uh, a little more so than maybe a, just a Greek or pagan background, and, and they know that there's this God who refines with fire, so that his people will be pure like gold. And James is saying here now, here's the fire. It's your everyday life. It's the trials that you go through. And God brings these for our good. For our good. For you know that the testing of your faith results in, produces this steadfastness. 
these trials show up in a, such a way that they test our faith. And by us clinging to God and saying, God, I don't totally understand this. I don't necessarily want this, but I'm clinging to you. Do your good work. We show that we are trusting in him. As we talk and we make sure that we are still trusting in the God who saves sinners, not the God who owes us anything, who is in any way in debt to us, but the God who uses trials for our good, we cling to him, we're showing that we're coming through this test, however long it is, that our faith tested is proving to be tried and true. And as we go through these, then things, something gets produced in us, and it's this perseverance, this endurance, this patience, this steadfastness. Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably the word in here that, that, that sounds good on paper and is not fun in real life. Have any of you heard about these crazy people that do endurance runs? There is this category of things called ultra marathons. And some of you are thinking, I thought marathons were like odd enough. Who signs up for 26.2 miles? But there's a category of people who love, like marathon, that, that's just not quite enough. I need more. So let's do a 50K. And I think if you translate that into American, it would be 32 miles. Or let's run 50 miles. Or let's run 100K. Or let's run 100 miles. And let's not just do this like down the road, you know, on the beach. Let's do this in Leadville, Colorado. Have you heard of this? Yes, it happens. If you want to see odd people, <clears throat> go to Leadville in August and you will see people running for 100. I don't know. There, I know there have been people at FRAC that have done this. I, I don't know if there's any in here right now that have done this. You get a support team because you need help to run 100 miles and you have aid stations, but you have people to actually run with you because running 100 miles, I don't know about you, but this takes over 24 hours. In fact, I think you get a belt buckle if you can run it within 24 hours. How do you get ready for a 100-mile race above 10,000 feet? You just YouTube it. I don't know, munch on Doritos and just watch and see what they say and then just go out and do it, right? No, you might start by YouTubing it and then if you still actually consider it, then let's talk. Come forward for prayer after the service. You have to start running. You have to start training. You don't run, go out and run 100 miles because what will happen? then the doctors and physical therapists will say, thank you so much for your business. <clears throat> you do a little bit at a time and you begin to build up and you begin to build up and you begin to build up and then you start doing runs of 20 miles a day followed by another run of 20 miles the next day. So when your body's tired and in pain, you get up and you run again. I don't know if I've sold any of you on this. There'll be a sign-up out back for the Leadville 100 after this. Endurance. Steadfastness. Isn't it interesting? The, th the thing we can joke about this running race is that you and I actually get to sign up for it. Or not. 
that's true of pretty much every running race, right? Like nobody makes you get out there and all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I'm in a running race. I, I need to run. It's optional. Just like signing up for the gym is optional. How many of you have done that in some January years past? Signing up for a personal trainer. This is another step forward in signing up for that gym because now somebody actually expects to meet you there. So much of this development is optional. It's up to us. When you became a Christian, you signed up for this. You signed up to have your faith tested, tried, and made more pure. Now, I don't know if anybody told you that. And it might be something about our evangelical church in general, and maybe ours specifically, that is worth reviewing. It is so exciting to see somebody profess faith and, and, and to, to have baptisms but there is something very necessary about helping them count the cost, certainly not talking them out of following the one true God, the only way to be right with the judge in front of, in front of whom all of us will stand one day. So I'm not saying that, but this is a part of the Christian faith. In fact, it seemed to be this idea of considerate joy when you face trials because... God is at work, and he's going to do something beautiful in you. Joy in trials because God is at work, and he's going to do something so beautiful in you. You can't see it now, but he is at work. James says it, Peter says it, and Paul says it. You're going to find it in three different places, 1 Peter chapter 1, Romans chapter 5, and here in the book of James. In fact, some people will say this must have been such a core, integral part of the early church that all three of these writers thought, we just got to say it. They say it in very similar ways, but just slightly different it's not, it, it hadn't formed into like a, a specific, maybe a, a song lyric or a creed that they all said it the same way. They, in fact, highlight slightly different elements of it. And here, what we'll unpack a little bit more, the steadfastness and complete that James is going to move us to. If you were to look at Paul, and we won't do this right now, but I'll just mention it. You can go back and look at it. In Romans chapter 5, he emphasizes how trials... And he's going, to get, he's going to hit this word endurance, perseverance, are going to produce that to proven character, and they're going to produce a hope, a hope. Because, brothers and sisters, you, you do see the world rightly. You believe in the God who made all things, and yet this world is not new and, 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 and renewed yet, and neither are you and neither am I. but God is working on us. When you meet trials of various kinds, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that this testing of your faith, these trials which test our faith, it produces steadfastness. It produces this endurance. It's like the training, but God's your trainer. God is your trainer 
And this is a part of our everyday life. It produces an endurance. You actually get stronger. Your faith gets stronger. Your character can change as you go through this. And this is where James then goes in verse 4, and, and here he kind of puts it back on us. This isn't just God doing all this work as we go through hard times. He says, not only does he say count or consider at the beginning, he now says, and let, and let steadfastness, endurance, perseverance have its full effect. Hang in there. Keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep going. Keep persevering. Keep going. When you, when you ran that 20-mile run and now you got to get up and do it again because you're gaining endurance for that run, get up. Or in this case, get on your knees because you need him. Your strength is, is not going to come in this case because of physical exercise, though that is of some value, as Paul will say. But your strength is in God. It's not some token that he gives you. It's not a transaction with him that he gives you. That, that would lean us towards Roman Catholicism, that you go to church to receive grace. Transaction accomplished, go home. What the scripture says is you receive God. He lives in you. He empowers you. He does give us grace, and that then is, 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 is synonymous with and, and, and kind of blurs the line as he also says, I come live with you. I'm in you. I'm giving you my spirit. And the spirit will bear his fruit. Let and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is why we count it joy. Because you and I aren't there yet. There are things about your character and mine. There's things about your faith and mine that can grow and will grow. As we become these odd, weird people, the church, who say, Lord, this is hard. I'm counting it joy because. Not because I'm strong and I'm tough and I'm just going to make it through. Not because this is like Brussels sprouts or broccoli or whatever's good for me that I plug my nose and swallow. I actually like those things. I'm going to endorse those things for all of you kids out there. Donuts are great. Broccoli's good too. We count it all joy because as God works in us and as we walk through these seasons with him, he changes us and you become, your faith gets even stronger. You're even more ready for the next test of faith that comes. Your character changes, your ability to walk through hard things, your ability to do what God has called you to do like love your enemy. Be kind to those who are not kind to you. He strengthens us as we walk through these things because he loves you and he has good intentions for you.
He brings the trials. He works through them. He is good to us. Let me bring some application to this. I want to bring up two things here. One is, I want to look at the book of Philippians with you. Just a short passage there. So will you turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me? What we're going to look at here is as Paul is writing to a church. Where is Philippians? There it is. As Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, a, a place that he started, believers he knows and he cares about. He's obviously not with them now. He's having to write a letter back to them to encourage them in their faith. And this is a book that's all about rejoicing. Chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul, as you may remember, was writing this from prison. He's waiting to figure out what will happen to him. That comes through in this letter. He doesn't know if he will live or die. Rejoice in the Lord always. As we drop into chapter 2, we get a little exchange here about this messenger that has come back and forth from Philippi to Paul, sent by the church there, and now he's sending him back, Epaphroditus. But here's what I want you to look for, and this is where we take this passage and we try to insert it into real life. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Because, because, because of the work that God will do in your heart. I want you to notice a few things that Paul is experiencing and feeling that honestly don't sound like joy. And we're going to mix these things together. Starting in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, longing for you all, and has been distressed, distressed, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have, and note this, sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. I bring this up. Even though our passage is from James, Paul is also one of these that says, rejoice, rejoice, Rejoice in the Lord always. And yet, what did he just say? He just said, joy can mix with sorrow. Joy can mix with Epaphroditus being distressed about those who care for him. Joy can mix with worry or anxiety. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed 
Epaphroditus went through a trial. His trial was illness, sickness. He almost died. There probably was a joy about him that maybe some of you have experienced as well. Maybe near to death and he knew it. I get to go see Jesus. And yet as he's going through that, he knows the love that the church back in Philippi has for him. And so maybe as he's recovering here, he's eager to get back to them but he could, because he knows that they are distressed. Obviously, communication didn't travel back then as fast as it did as it does now, so they didn't get immediate updates. They, would, they heard, obviously, that he's near death, that he's extremely ill, and they're concerned, and Epaphroditus is distressed. And Epaphroditus, in the midst of that, rejoice in the Lord always. Can we be concerned about others? Yeah, that's called loving one another. Can that make us feel distressed? Absolutely. As we go through that trial, we cling to the Lord. We walk in his ways. We seek his strength. Paul will also say, he, so Epaphrodite has been longing for you all, has been distressed because, of, because he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul, in his real earthly life, he wasn't this apostle set apart from all human experience. He wasn't this stoic that said, I feel no emotion. Emotions can be fickle and they can lie to us, but emotion can line up with what's true. And we're seeing that here. Of course, Paul would experience sorrow, grief, if a good friend like this passed away. Even knowing he's going on to the Lord. And so Paul clings to his Lord. Count it all joy. Paul, count it all joy, Epaphroditus. When you experience the near loss of a loved one, when you hear that others are distressed for you, count it all joy because these various trials, they're going to produce a steadfastness and endurance, a strength of your character as God works in us. Joy isn't just this, this okay, I just, I just need to be joyful. I need to be fine. Everything needs to be good. I don't know what belief or what religion that is, but it's just not Christianity. We don't drop into, the, into total the, 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 the pits of despair and languish at ourselves and take our eyes off of the Lord, though it can certainly feel at times that we go there. And wherever we find ourselves, we put our eyes on the Lord and we trust in Him as we walk through all the challenges of everyday life that we see just in part in Philippians chapter 2. Joy can mix with all the other experiences that come with trials. Let me share this other thing with you. There's a quote that I read from a gentleman named David Paulison. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a uh, teacher, Christian counselor, long history of, of teaching others and wrote a number of, of really helpful books. He passed away about two years ago from pancreatic cancer. 
Before David Paulison passed away of that, he had a bout of prostate cancer uh, about eight years ago. And what was interesting was that David Paulison and John Piper were both diagnosed with prostate cancer about five months after speaking at a conference on suffering and Jesus Christ. Not because they spoke at that conference, but they stand up to say what's true. And then they got to practice what they preached because God was not done, because there was more refining work, because there was more testing of their faith that was going to produce a more pure faith, a more complete, lacking in nothing faith and character. There was more work to be done in these two men. And God knew it, even if we as human beings put accolades on them because of teaching ability and stuff like that or whatever it might be, God knew there was still more work to be done, that they needed to just continue to cling to Him above all else. John Piper wrote a blog uh, as he was waiting for the day before his surgery for this cancer. David Paulison then takes Piper's blog and, and has a, a paragraph from Piper and then shares his own thoughts after this, obviously, with Piper's approval. So they both blog on this same idea. It's an article you may find online called Don't Waste Your Cancer. That was Piper's title, as you may have guessed, for those of you who follow him. One of the things that Paulison wrote, I want to read this paragraph to you. As we face trials of various kinds, we, of course, want God to produce in us a faith and an endurance, a character that is whole and complete and lacking in nothing. While we know that that, that won't happen fully in this life, Lord, the trials are coming. We live in a fallen world. Use these for our good and for your glory. Change our character. Refine us. Make us rely on you above all else, anything else. Paulison says this, and I bring it back to this idea of this personal trainer. Maybe you have a personal trainer. Maybe you have someone that you like so much that you tell other people about them. Do you tell other people about Jesus, your personal trainer, through trials? Do you talk about what Jesus is doing in your life as you go through trials? I encourage us to be a people who do that. Are you seeking him? And do you see him at work? If not, seek him more. Strengthen. Get up again. Get up for that next workout. Get on your knees. Pray to him. Confess. Share. Describe. He knows all that's going on. He loves our honesty in prayers. David Paulison, as he's writing in this blog, approaching uh, this prostate cancer, which then he lives another nine years before pancreatic cancer, brings death to his body, he talks about this same idea, tell people about Jesus. Use your trials to tell people about Jesus. 
Listen along as I read this paragraph. It's, it's a decent-sized paragraph, so let, just let Paulison say his words, and you'll see how he starts first talking about sins and God's work in our sins, and that, but then he's going to move on to suffering, and that's our connection to trials. He says this, so tell them openly about your sickness. Everybody was, of course, talking to him about cancer. Cancer, cancer, cancer. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Do you know this? Have you looked this up? Have you researched this? Do you know this, uh, this remedy? Do you know that remedy? Sure, tell them openly about your sickness, seeking their prayers and counsel. But then change the direction of the conversation by telling them, what your God is doing to faithfully sustain you with 10,000 mercies. Robert Murray McChaney wisely said, for every one look at your sins, take 10 looks at Christ. I'll read that line again. For every one look at your sins, take 10 looks at Christ. He was countering our tendency to reverse that 10 to 1 ratio by brooding over our failings and forgetting the Lord of mercy. What McCheney says about our sins, we can also apply to our sufferings. For every one sentence you say to others about your cancer, your various trials, say 10 sentences about your God, about your hope, and what he is teaching you. And the small blessings of each day for every hour you spend researching or discussing your cancer, spend 10 hours researching and discussing and serving your Lord. Relate all that you are learning about cancer back to him and his purposes, and you won't become obsessed. How does that sit with you? Does that fit? It resonates with me. I recognize the ease I have to flip that 10 to 1. What a great opportunity to tell people about Jesus, to just very simply say, this is hard, but Jesus is with me. I got to do that this morning as I was talking to somebody we haven't seen at Frackies for a while. They're going through a hard time. How am I doing? Jesus is with me. He's more near now than he's ever been, and I'm grateful for that. That doesn't mean trials are over, that everything's done, but with you, I'm just going to keep seeking him because he has work to do in me. He has work to do in you. He is our hope. Will you pray with me? Father God, strengthen us. You call us to be witnesses. We witness what we see and experience. Let us be people that seek you always, but certainly in trials. Make us those weird people who do rejoice. Count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds because you because of your love, because of your mercy, because of the work that you are doing and will do in our lives. We seek that, Father, and we seek then opportunities to share that with others, to encourage one another in that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.